Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And if you can, I want to invite you to stand. Let's read God's infallible and powerful Word. Starting verse 4, Philippians chapter 3. Here's the Word of the Lord. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Oh, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Oh, no, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Please be seated. Father, we come to you as your children in Christ Jesus, adopted through His blood. And we come to you because you are a loving, gracious, benevolent Father who loves to give good gifts. So we pray that you would feed your people. Give us the living bread of life. Give us your word. Speak to us. We have been longing, all week long, to hear your voice. Not the voice of a man, but your voice. So speak to us. Change us. Transform us. Thank you for being very kind towards us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your love, your generosity towards us. Be with your people in Salem. Be with other churches this morning. Build up your church through your spirit, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There are some 
phrases and some sentences, some catchphrases, some slogans in the Christian life that we often hear. We often listen to these catchphrases and oftentimes these catchphrases, they sound very good. And those two weeks that we were traveling, we had the opportunity of listening to Christian radio for a long time. And during the time listening to Christian radio station, we heard some of these catchphrases and these slogans, these bumper stickers that many Christians have. So, we, we talked about this one some time ago, but it's important to repeat again. Let go and let God. So, and that's... That comes across as a mature advice. I have heard other Christians sounding really mature and they say, now it's the time just to let go and let God. And of course there is some truth there, but it's, if you know where this statement comes from, you know that's very messed up theologically. It comes from the Keswick theology and the higher life theology where there are two groups of Christians, and there is this group of Christians who receive the Holy Spirit. And now they know that they don't need to work hard for sanctification. It becomes passive. You just need to let go and let God. But you see, Paul has nothing of let go and let God. The Christian life is a battle. Always pressing forward. Marching, conquering, putting the full armor. Nothing passive in that. Another one is the movement of inner healing that has affected many Christians. The inner healing movement. And that's the concept that all Christians, they need to go through this process of inner healing in order to get mature. So, I remember being at church with Rachel. To become a member of that church, you have... You had to go through the course on inner healing. And this inner healing is an idea that primarily people sin against you in the past and you need to go back to those sins and now you need to deal with that. So it's primarily you being the object of other people's sins. Very similar to our society today. Everybody hurt you. And maybe you don't even know. Maybe it was when you were in the womb of your mom. Somebody said something. And that hurt you. And that's why you're not growing spiritually. That's why you need to go through the inner healing process. Well, sometimes people lay down the floor and they pretend they're back in the womb of their mom. And just and suddenly people start creating all sorts of things because you're just, you need to go. You, you have people who hurt you. You just don't know, Rick, but you have people who hurt you in the past. And that's why you're living like that. So we need to go in the back of your mind and your heart and find those places in order for you to grow as a Christian. And the more mature Christians are teaching that. And now, even the more mature, they need to be recycled and go through again this inner healing. Another one, another very famous bumper sticker, slogan, Christians are not perfect. They are just what? 
forgiven. They're not perfect. They're just forgiven. Uh, we all agree here that Christians are not perfect. We all agree 100%. But there are so many messed up ideas with this slogan. Christians are not perfect. Just forgiven. Just forgiven? Just forgiven. As if there was a small thing to be forgiven by the holy and righteous God of the universe. I'm just forgiven. Just forgiven. And then there is the idea that forgiveness is just a state. It's just something passive that happened. And there is no application and implication in your present life for you to grow and change and mature. So it's just forgiven. So you see, those are things that at first people hear and, oh yeah, that's good. But as you start thinking through these things, you realize that has nothing to do with Christian maturity. Nothing to do with Christian maturity. So Paul here in Philippians chapter 3 is teaching us what Christian maturity looks like. And we all here need to pay attention. Because if you are a Christian, God saved you. The Father saved you to transform you into the likeness of His Son. And there is a maturation process of becoming more and more like Christ. And we all need to grow into maturity. Become more mature Christians. Amen? So... As we come to Philippians 3, just to remind you the context, Paul is giving his, his testimony, his testimony of grace. And there are two purposes in this testimony. And we know because of verse 2, look out for the dogs. One is to protect the church. So his own testimony protects the church from false, teachi, false teachers, false teachings that want to pervert the grace of God. And now, so as we come to verse 17 and the rest of Philippians, we know that Paul is setting Examples, patterns to follow after to help the church in Philippi. Paul is a very loving pastor. He's a very caring shepherd in the church. And his heart desires to see the churches growing. And he knows that one of the ways for a church to grow is to be beholding the example of mature Christians. And that's what he's doing here. So the context is fresh now. And here's where we have been... In our journey through chapter 3, especially verses 12 through 17. Paul's evaluation, 12a. Paul's determination, 12b. Paul's evaluation, 13a. And now Paul's determination, that's where we stop last Lord's Day. We did verse 13b. We didn't arrive in verse 14. So today I want to do verse 14, 15, 16, and 17. Paul's determination followed by Paul's exhortations. Okay, so let's go and just briefly review here. You remember verse 12, it starts, No, 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 not that I have obtained this. And Paul is giving as if it was a remedy against any false accusation towards Paul, as if Paul has already arrived, as if Paul is so holy that he has already gained Christ completely. He knows Christ fully. And Paul says, No, 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 I have not arrived there. I have not finished the task that God has given me. I'm still breathing. I'm still alive. I'm still on this earth. Therefore, there is more to conquer. There is more of Christ to know. So that's what he's telling us. And then his evaluation leads to, let me go back here, to Paul's determination. Paul's evaluation, like any Christian, you evaluate your spiritual state, and that must lead to 
determination, serious determination. So he says, not that I have already obtained this or have already accomplished my task, but, the contrast, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And we saw last Lord's Day, Paul is using military language, war language, and he's saying that he's pursuing Christ, he's hunting after Christ. He wants to take hold of Christ. Because Christ first hunted him down and laid hold of him. So now he lives his life to pursue Christ. And then that led to Paul's evaluation once again. And I hope you can see that. Look at verse 13a. Brothers, brothers. And now look at the affection of Paul as he's talking to this church in Philippi. And he calls these Gentile Christians brothers. And he sees them as a band of brothers, as an army bought with the blood of Christ. And now they're united in the advancement of the gospel. He says, brothers, no, I have not already taken hold of Christ completely. I have not accomplished that. Then, sober realization leads to determination. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. Paul is saying one thing and one thing only. I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward. I'm not letting all the good things that Lord, the Lord has accomplished in my life in the past to hinder me from keep marching, keep pressing on. That's where we were last Lord's Day, so now we come to verse 14. So he says, I press on. Look at the word there, I press on. That's the same word he used in verse 12. Dioko, to hunt down, pursue, chasing after, hunting. So here's Paul saying, I press on towards the goal. The goal. That's an important word here. And that's the problem. We, we come to this text and we think that Paul is talking about racing and running. But actually, all the military language here is overwhelming in indication that he's talking about a, a war. And the Philippians know about war. Philippi was, became a Roman colony because of war. Many soldiers were in Philippi. And this kopos, the aim, the goal, was never that word goal. There was, and I have heard preachers saying that's the goal, the finish line. That's what Paul is running after. The goal there is the finish line. First of all, that doesn't make any sense in the context that he's hunting. You don't hunt the other athletes. You don't put them down and lay hold of other runners. You do that in the battle. And then skopos, the Greek word here, was never used for the finish line. It was actually used for the aim, the target, for people throwing javelin or archery. And especially in military language for the aim that the army was going after. So, for example, I have a secular example here. The Greek historian Polybius or Polybius, he used the same military word here, skopos, and look at what he says. 
For as in combat between man and man and rank and rank, he who means to conquer must observe how best to attain his... That's the word that the ESV translates as goal, his aim. And what naked or unprotected part of the enemy is visible. So the goal there is not the finish line, but it is the aim that this army is going after. That's what Paul is doing here. So he says, I pursue, I press the aim, the target there for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. So he keeps hunting down, pressing forward, chasing after the aim. Why? For what? For the prize. For the prize. And that's exactly how soldiers were motivated back in the day. So, it's no surprise for some of you, but one of my favorite movies is Gladiator. And if you remember Gladiator, right before the battle, he comes and he encourages all those soldiers by reminding them of the prize of winning the battle. I'll be back home after this battle. Raising my crops. It's my wife and children. So, they're thinking about the prize. And that motivates them to keep fighting and pressing on. And look at the prize here. I pursued the target, the military aim for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize there, it's an important word, was using military context and was used to the prizes which the victorious army or victorious soldier in a single combat received on account of a victory over an enemy. So in ancient times, think about ancient times, you had an army who conquered a battle and you have the best soldiers, you have those soldiers, and what would take place is the general or the emperor would call some of those soldiers by name in front of everybody and reward them with the prize. So even in some Roman coins, so you get some coins of the time of Rome, you can see that in one side of the coins, it's some of the soldiers receiving the prize from the emperor or from the commander. And that's exactly the picture that Paul has here, is that he wants to be called. But look at the call that he wants. It's not a horizontal call. It's a vertical call. It's the upward call. It's the heavenward call. And who is calling him? Who is calling Paul? The text says, God, God the Father is calling him. So he's saying, and people could just picture that the soldiers being called by the emperor or a great general to come forward and receive the prize. And Paul has this picture, but he transfers. No, no, no. I want the upward call. I don't want the horizontal call. And I don't want Caesar calling me. I want God the Father calling me to receive the prize. And what is the prize? Where is the prize? In Christ Jesus. The prize is Christ Jesus Himself. So that's what Paul is saying here. There are two calls in the Christian life. 
There is the first call. And that's the first resurrection. It's when we resurrected from our deadness in sins. So that's, we have the first call of God when the Holy Spirit comes and wakes us up. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that changed completely. That's the first call. What we would call the first resurrection, the spiritual resurrection. As we are dead in sins, God make us alive in Christ Jesus. But that's not the call that Paul is talking about. He wants the second. The second call. That will be the second resurrection when He's taken upward, heavenward, to be with the Lord Jesus Himself. But it's interesting and sad that so many Christians in America, our lives are so comfortable. Our lives are so good that we do not see a heavenward call as a prize, but actually as something bothersome. My life is going so well. Why would He call me now? That's sad. We are so comfortable. Even the idea of going to heaven right now would frustrate our plans. My plans. All that's ahead of me instead of Christ Jesus Himself. Dennis Johnson, in his commentary, he says, In the materially comfortable West, we might find it easy to dismiss Earlier ages' hopes for resurrection in heaven as old-fashioned and escapist. We might grant that such otherworldliness can help people to cope when life expectancies are short and the standard of living is wretched with meager food, polluted water, unsafe housing, or violence on the streets. But images of a world purged of evil may be less interesting to people who enjoy comfortable homes, ample and tasty food, reliable health care, and trustworthy emergency services. Is that your unspoken reaction to talk about heaven or resurrection or the life to come? See, a mature Christian, a mature church is always longing and expecting for the heavenward call to be with Christ. And let me say something, especially to the moms here. The moms with their labor working hard, kids <coughs> trying to permeate the home with the gospel and see the salvation of the little ones. Is that the prize that you're looking at? Christ. Because if it's not, you will be frustrated. <coughs> if you're waiting for recognition of others, recognition of the society, if that's why you're doing what you do, you will be frustrated. All that you do for Christ must be done with the aim, I will be with Him. He is the greatest reward of all.
So here's Paul. And now he moves to the exhortation. Look at verse 15. Therefore, literally says, Therefore, let us, let those of us who are mature think this way. And Paul places himself with the mature ones. He does that in Romans chapter 15. We who are strong, it's not arrogance. It's a sober realization where he is in the Christian life. <coughs> and he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And there is a, a play with words here. Because the same, you think about the first word that I have here so you can see. In verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect, the ESV says. Tetelomai. And now in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are teleos, mature. That's why if you have the, the King James Version, you see that the King James Version translates, uh, let, let those of us who are perfect. But I think it's problematic, this translation, because Paul is not talking about perfect, he's talking about maturity. That's how he uses the same words, teleos, in other parts of his letters to talk about Christian maturity. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 2.6, Yet, among the teleos, the mature, we do impart wisdom. Or 1 Corinthians 14.20 Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be teleos, mature. You not talk about perfection, but maturity. Ephesians 4.13 Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature teleos, manhood. So, I agree with Thuman when he says, so, in Philippians 3, 12, 16, he affirms the incompleteness of his own journey towards the final day, stating that, paradoxically, only those who understand their lack of perfection, the teleomai, have reached the spiritual teleos, maturity. He's causing them to think about these things. And look what Paul says. Let those... Of us who are mature, think this way. That's an important word throughout Philippians. Thronel. When you think about thinking, we are prone to think about intellect. Rational. But actually the word thronel there is much deeper and broader than just using your intellect. It's related to thinking, feeling, acting. All together. And Paul used this word often throughout Philippians. The same word that he says in Philippians 2.5, Have this thronel in you that was in Christ Jesus. This mindset of thinking, feeling, acting. And what is this mindset that Paul is talking about? Let us... Let those of us who are mature have this mindset. What is the this pointing to? The preceding verses. That he's talking about himself and his journey. And if you think about it, I remember, I think I showed you last Lord's Day. What Paul is doing here, he's just presenting himself as an example of those who follow after Christ. So when he says, have this mindset in you... He's pointing towards himself 
who is ultimately pointing to Christ Jesus, who is the greatest pattern of having this mindset. So Paul defines spiritual maturity in Philippians as the mindset that thinks, acts, and feels like Christ. One who is always counting everything that will hinder the pursuit of Christ as loss. One who knows that he must always keep hunting after Christ, laying hold of the things of Christ, forgetting what's behind, stretching forward to what is ahead. That's what a mature Christian is, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 3. But Paul not only speaks about those who are mature, he helps those who are immature. And that's beautiful what he does here. He's going to give us three very practical steps to grow into maturity. The solution for, solution for spiritual immaturity. First of all, look at verse 15. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Who can solve the problem of spiritual immaturity? Spiritual immaturity. It's a spiritual problem. Therefore, you need what? The spiritual help. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. So the first thing that Paul does is to remind us, first of all, not everybody in the church are equally mature. That's very important. Not everybody in the church are equally mature in the Lord. You have people who are more mature, people who are less mature. And that's beautiful and that's fine. Just like in a family, you have people who are older and people who are younger. And that's beautiful. Amen? It's a beautiful thing to have babies in the church. I'm talking about spiritual babies and physical babies also. It's beautiful. God saved them. They're changed. They're, for the first time, tasting the food of God's Word. It's a wonderful thing. But it's a heinous thing. It's an ugly thing when they remain infants. Then there is a problem. Amen? So Paul here, first of all, he recognized that some Christians are babies. They're less mature than others. And that's fine. That's good. We don't all grow at the same pace or in the same places in our convictions and affections and attitudes and actions. That's the first thing that Paul realizes. Not all of us are there. Some are more mature, others are less mature. And we need God's wisdom in a church. Because there are a lot of things that are not very clear in dealing with those who are less mature, those who are more mature. We need wisdom from God. There are two extremes in the church today, and we must avoid. One is the church that allows all sorts of things because of their own convictions. Each one has his own conviction. So suddenly the church is allowing all sorts of things because that's fine. That's what he thinks. If he thinks this way, that's fine. If the other one thinks that, that's one extreme. The other extreme is the extreme that everything is a reason for fighting and arguing and trying to make the other person have the same mind as you in everything. Even with us as elders, we have our statement of faith 
in our in relation to becoming a member. And sometimes people become members, and there are certain aspects there that the person is not there yet. The person has not fully understood that. And for us, we need to have wisdom. So, oh, I think that's fine. You know what we believe. You know what we teach in relation to this. But there are other things in the statement of faith. If the person denies that, we're going to say, so we cannot be a member here. What is the standard? It's wisdom. Wisdom from the Lord. Some areas we know that people will mature, will grow, will understand more. There are other things that you need to believe that to be even a baby Christian, an infant. You've got to have these aspects in your life. And notice also that Paul is no postmodern that says, Hey, that's my truth and I pray that God will reveal your truth to you. That's our culture. My truth, your truth. No, no, no. God will reveal the truth. The truth that He revealed to me, He revealed to you also. We see here in Paul. So, not only spiritual help from God Himself, but also, Paul says, the second one. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. That's the ESV. My translation is, however... That which we have attained, by the same let us march in battle order. The word that Paul uses here, the ESV translates as let us hold. The NIV has let us live up. The NASB has let us keep up living by the same standard. Stoihel, also a military word, was used initially for the armies standing in line, marching in line. And what Paul is saying here is, as a more experienced soldier, he's saying, we all must keep marching together. Don't be frustrated just because you're not as mature as some are. Keep marching together. The church is supposed to keep marching together. March under the orders that you have. March under the orders that you understand. That's why when I prepare a sermon, I'm not just thinking about one type of Christian. I'm thinking about the text and let it go. I unleash the Scriptures. And for some of you, the things I say pass beyond your understanding. For others, is wonderful. For others, is weak. I hope you give more. Whatever you get from the sermon. That you must be applying, using in your life, and marching together. That's, Paul, that's what Paul is saying here. How do you grow spiritually? By being faithful to the little you have. You don't become a, a titan in the faith, waking up one morning. Oh, today I'm Martin Luther. Today I'm Spurgeon. No! Be faithful in the little that you have, and little by little, the Lord starts giving you more and more. Keep marching together. All the church, marching together. Think about an army. Think about ancient battles. As they are marching, you had soldiers who were very experienced. 
You had soldiers who had more orders than others. You have more experienced and less experienced soldiers. But what would they do? Fight together. Keep marching together. And that's what Paul is saying here. And then lastly, he says, the final solution for spiritual immaturity. Verse 17. Brothers, join imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have. Same thing in armies. As they are getting to the battle, the more experienced soldiers would say, look to me. Keep your eyes on me. Follow me. The same in the church. We keep our eyes on those who are mature. One scholar says, While a call to imitate me may strike modern ears as arrogant, the imitation of exemplars is a crucial element in the life of discipleship. So let me ask you, who are the men and the women that you are imitating? Paul tells us, keep your eyes on those who are mature. Those who walk according to what I have been laying down here for you. I was talking to the kids last night. It's tempting for us to, I want this because so-and-so has this. I want to do that because so-and-so does that. Huh. Is that person a mature Christian? Ah, uh, no. You should be striving and looking after those who are mature. That's all of us. Not looking at those who are immature and say, Oh, he does that, so I'm fine. I'm going to do also. Look at he's doing. No, you look to the most holy ones. Say your standard high. That's what Paul is telling us here. So here's the solution for spiritual immaturity. So to finish the sermon, very practical here, I want to be. Verse 15a. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Spiritual maturity is marked not by how long you have been in church or how many years you have been professing to be a Christian, but by a life that has this mind, the mind of Christ, the mind that Paul just showed us here, one who is always pursuing after Christ. Placing others above himself. That's the sign of a mature Christian. And he's placing others above himself. One who is seeking the welfare of his church above his own welfare. Second. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Brothers and sisters. Some members in this church are more mature than others. Others are less mature than others. And that's fine. That's fine. The great work of Jesus is to bring His church into mature manhood. Ephesians chapter 4. He gave teachers to the church to bring to maturity. So, Paul is saying... Let's, let's learn from Paul. He is a wise man, and he knows when it's time to pick up a fight and argue. And he's saying, there are certain things. Just trust in the Lord. Trust the Lord to mature that person. And He will do the work. It's His work. 
He will perform the work of maturing the church. Stop arguing about everything. You don't need to be the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think that we are the Holy Spirit. I need to bring you to maturity right now. Because I believe this, you must believe this also. We need to be careful with that. I, me and the elders have seen in this church many examples of members telling us how they first disagree with us in certain things that we did, certain actions that we took, and people disagree, came to us, complained, and then later, later, with time spent with the church, time spent with the elders, getting to know the leaders of the church, can you please forgive me for what I said? Maturing. The Lord does this work to preserve the unity of the church. Another one. He says, That which we have attained, by the same let us march in battle order. Just keep marching. Keep fighting. But I don't know as much as you do. I don't have the affection that you do. Keep marching. Keep being faithful in the little. And you will grow. That's what Paul is telling us. Think about our church. How, how our church... It's a small church now, but you have no idea how it was before. Okay? But maybe, I don't know, a handful of people, two handful of people, maybe. Just keep marching. That's what we have been doing. We keep marching. We keep serving. We keep loving. We keep giving ourselves. And the Lord grows us. He matures us. Amen? So, and that applies to your life outside the church, work, studies. Be faithful in the little. Stop dreaming big and start living now. Have all these ambitions and aspirations. You cannot even make your bed in the morning. You cannot even brush your teeth. Stop it. Do what you have to do right now. The ABCs. And the same in the Christian life. I want to be like him. What have you been doing with the little that you have? And those who think they are more mature. Have you been marching with those who are less mature? Or you are running ahead and forgetting everybody behind? If you think you're more mature, have you been helping the less mature ones? And those who are less mature, have you been making effort to keep, keep up with the more mature ones? Or are you just being lazy and letting the more mature ones do the, all the work? But that's for all of us. We march together, shoulder to shoulder, and we help each other. Amen? 
Spiritual maturity is a community effort. Nobody grows spiritually outside the life of a local church. There is no spiritual maturity outside the life of a local church because that's how Jesus made us to grow. You cannot grow outside the life of a local church. It's a community effort to grow spiritually. And finally, the mark of maturity. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the great sign of a mature church, a mature Christian. He's longing, yearning for the upward call. Because he knows that the greatest treasure, the greatest prize is Christ Himself. Those are the people that you must be following after. People who love Christ. People who long to be with Christ. Not the earth, earth dwellers. But those who long for the upward call of God. To be with Jesus. And we must be this type of church. Fight against the comfort that we have here. Meaning, don't let the comfort take hold of you in a sense that you prefer here than heaven itself. Fight against that. Father, we thank You for Your love and Your care towards us. We praise You for Your goodness in speaking to us, confronting us, comforting us, exhorting us. And that's our desire, to grow into maturity. That's why You saved us, to become more and more like Christ. So help us as a church to do as Paul tells us to do. To that which we have attained, let us march in battle line. Help us to be faithful to all You have given us. And keep serving, loving, fighting for the kingdom. I pray that You would grow us more and more by Your mercy, by Your grace. Help this church to be a mature church in Christ Jesus. And help us to love those who are more immature, Lord. Help us to walk with them. Help us to long to help the more immature ones to grow. We need Your help. That's a spiritual work. We need Your Holy Spirit in us. And my prayer is that we all would have Christ as the greatest treasure of all. The great prize. Help us to long for the upward call. To be in the presence of Him who loved us and gave Himself up for us. Help us to long to be with Jesus and be found in Him completely. To know Him fully throughout eternity. So give us this desire, Lord, in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.